Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a series talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Every year on August 19th, we recognize International Orangutan Day. Did you know these intelligent and gentle primates are under great threat of extinction primarily due to loss of habitat? Fortunately, there are things you can do at home to help prevent and save these wonderful animals. Peter, let's see how much you know about orangutans. Orangutans are the largest tree-dwelling animals on Earth. True or false? That is true. That is true. Orangutans are red-haired apes that live where? A, in the tropical rainforests of Sumatra and Borneo in Southeast Asia. B, live only in Nigeria, in Africa. And C, live throughout Africa. Oh, that's A, I'm sure of that. That's true. Orangutans live only on those two islands, Sumatra and Borneo. Orangutans are the only great apes of Asia. And it appears that they are of African origin, but dispersed about 50 million years ago. The average height of an adult male is about 55 inches tall, and they can weigh up to 200 or so pounds. Orangutans have an enormous arm span. A male orangutan has an arm span of about 2 meters, which is 6.6 feet, and can even be up to 8 feet from fingertip to fingertip in the case of a very large male. Orangutans are among the most sexually dimorphic of the primates, and an adult male may be three times heavier than an adult female. Speaking about the males, here's a question for you, Peter. Once a male develops these... He won't tolerate any other adult males in his vicinity and competes with them for access to receptive females. What are these? They're bright orange color coats, a functional opposable thumb and an opposable big toe, or cheek pads? Mm -hmm. Well, I I don't know, but I thought the juveniles are orange, and I know their thumbs are not going to become opposable. I'm going to have to say the cheek pads. I don't know why. Cheek pads are correct. Sexually mature males develop cheek pads which frame their faces and make their heads look larger. And in the wild, some males won't develop these cheek pads until they're about 30 years of age. All orangutans do have hands that are very much like ours. They have four long fingers plus an opposable thumb. Their feet have four long toes plus an opposable toe. Right. That's really interesting. Isn't Isn't that? Yeah. Cheek pads are also thought to help extend the range of their vocalizations. And speaking of their vocalizations, orangutans are noisy animals. Orangutans make loud howls and bellows that can be heard from miles in the rainforest. It's usually the males that make these calls, usually to warn other males in their territory and to attract females. And researchers have identified at least 32 orangutan vocalizations. Peter, the word orangutan comes from the Malay words orang hutan, meaning a. Mm. Oh, I think I know. Okay. Something, something like animal, something of the forest animal. Very good. Very fo- good. Person of the forest. Person of orang the forest. meaning people and hutan meaning forest. Yeah. The orangutan is one of humankind's closest relatives. In fact, we share nearly 97% of the same DNA. Orangutans spend most of their time up in the trees. As you know, they have these hook-shaped hands and long, strong arms and are easily able to climb and swing from branch to branch. Yet, although these guys are strong and very powerful, everything I read says they are gentle, gentle creatures. I mean, they might just sit for hours gazing. And they are intelligent. They make their homes in the trees. They build tree nests each night out of leaves and branches and sleep in these leafy nests high off the ground, which protects them from their 
predators, which are the tigers and the leopards, although we know the tigers are rare in the wild since humans have killed them off, or most of them off. And you can see in videos and photos that these orangutans also use leafy branches to shelter themselves from rain and sun, and they make umbrellas for themselves out of big leaves. That's cute. So they are indeed smart. They are born with the ability to think and reason. And with their red-orange coat color, they are nicely camouflaged in the rainforest. So here you go, Peter. Regarding the family dynamics, the following statement is true. A, there's a very strong relationship or bond between mother and her young, but the male orangutans tend to be alone. B, mother encourages her newborn to fend for him or herself. Or C, the male orangutan is the guardian of the babies. Okay, I happen to know this one. Uh, because I was reading, I read, and uh, it's A, because the male does, is out of there. Yeah, exactly right. Mothers carry their offspring for the first five years and actually stay closely alongside their young till about six or seven years, during which they've learned the necessary skills to survive on their own. Baby orangutans rely on mama's nurturing for everything. They're always, you see them clutching tightly onto their hair of the mother's stomach area. Yes, they're very cute. Yes, but interestingly, as you said, unlike other great apes, like the gorillas and the chimpanzees, the male orangutans don't like to live in groups and tend to be alone. So females give birth about once every eight years. And like you said, newborns are very cute with their pink faces that actually change color as they age a little bit, get a little darker. Orangutans eat mostly fruit. Their favorites are huge spiky fruits called durian. But there are actually a few hundred different kinds of fruits they can find in the rainforest. They also eat some flowers, honey, bark, leaves, and insects. The lifespan of orangutans in the wild is what? Uh, I know that one too. 30, uh, 30 to 40 yeah, years? Yes, yes, 30 to 40 years. Yeah. Orangutans are indeed endangered. Peter, an ingredient found in many everyday foods and cosmetic products is contributing to the rapid deforestation of their habitats. What is this ingredient? Oh, that is palm oil, and I'm going to be speaking about that in a moment. That's right. And according to the Sumatran Orangutan Society, orangutan habitat in Sumatra and Borneo is being cleared at an alarming rate for conversion to oil palm plantations. On Sumatra, there's now more than four times as much land cultivated with oil palms as there is orangutan habitat remaining. Lori, I wanted to add a little bit more about the connection between the palm oil cultivation and use and the bad situation orangutans are around the world. Their habitat is being destroyed. Palm oil first of all, is used in uh, many products, some foods and some household products. The use of palm oil has become more and more prevalent in many foods, including instant noodles and margarine and many prepared breads. And uh, it's just not a healthy fat, so you want to avoid eating it. As you mentioned, the source of it is the oil palm tree. This originated in Africa, but now is all over Southeast Asia, Malaysia, and Indonesia um, especially. And the cultivation of palm oil is really terrible for the rainforest. They are basically cleared and the palm oil tree fields are planted and uh, this results in the destruction of the orangutan habitat. About 1,000 to 5,000 orangutans are killed every year because of palm oil development and they have indeed lost about 90% of their primary rainforest habitat. Wow, I didn't realize it was so high. 90%. Yeah. 
Furthermore, palm oil cultivation is bad for the environment. It messes up the water table. It decreases biodiversity, obviously, and contributes to climate change through a variety of uh, mechanisms. Now, a little bit more about the products. If you go into your typical grocery store, about half of the food products and household products sold in North America have palm oil in them. And it's very sneaky because it can be listed in the ingredients under a large variety of names, some of which don't seem to be equivalent to palm oil. So you need to do a little reading about this. And really what you need to do is just avoid purchasing or using any of the products and foods that have palm oil. It's very prevalent in lipstick and shampoos and washing detergents. And uh, it's just hiding everywhere. It's become so common. Truly, it's putting so much pressure on the wild orangutan populations. Going even further than that, the whole industry is bad for the local communities. It doesn't supply good, sustainable economics for the locals. There is one more thing I want to add this sort of controversial area about whether palm oil can be grown sustainably. There is a certifying organization called RSPO, which is supposed to verify that your palm oil has been obtained sustainably, but most sources I found are highly suspicious about this and uh, recommend just avoiding its use altogether, which is what we try to do. But, you know, going through this, Lori, I've become much more aware. We've been avoiding palm oil, but I think it's hiding in more of our products than we were aware. And we should look at this a little bit further, don't you think? Absolutely. And Peter, you probably want to know how we got to this point. So next, I'm going to explain the story, and it has to do with the decreased use of unhealthy trans fats in packaged foods and in restaurant foods, and its replacement with the nearly as unhealthful ingredient, palm oil. Don't go away. You'll learn how and why this happened. Did you know that more than half of the animals that enter our country's shelters are euthanized every year? This amounts to millions of loving, adoptable dogs and cats being killed due to our nation's pet overpopulation problem. Too many dogs and cats are permitted to have litters, but there's just not enough homes to take them all in. We strongly encourage people to adopt pets from a shelter instead of buying from a breeder or a pet store. When you adopt from a shelter, more than likely you are saving a life. Please tell your friends and family about the pet overpopulation problem and encourage them to adopt from a shelter and save a life. And together we can stop this terrible ongoing tragedy and senseless killing of millions of loving dogs and cats. So spread the word. Adopt, don't buy. And remember, always have your pets fixed. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. Each year, hundreds of racehorses get injured while racing or training. If a horse gets injured or breaks down, it's more likely than not that he or she will end up being shipped off to slaughter. Many people refer to horse racing as a sport, but really it's only betting with animals. And as the horses get less competitive, they're worth more to the owners dead than alive. They are sold off and shipped in overcrowded trucks for hours on end, without water, to Canada or Mexico where they are slaughtered for food. That is the fate of most racehorses in the United States. While they are alive, they are subjected to overtraining and massive amounts of drugs to mask the pain of chronic and recurrent injuries. The racing industry is cruel from top to bottom, so don't support it and tell your friends and relatives not to support the industry in any way. Don't bet, don't go to tracks, and avoid parties that celebrate racing. 
This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Check them out at AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. Welcome back to Animals Today. Okay, so if you've been tuning into the show, you know where we stand on the ethics of palm oil. Its production is a major cause of deforestation and habitat loss, specifically for orangutans. And since it's used in about half of the products on supermarket shelves, one might ask, is it healthy to consume? Well, the answer is no. Palm oil is extremely high in saturated fats. One tablespoon of palm oil contains 55% of the daily recommendation of saturated fat. Remember the difference between unsaturated and saturated fats? Unsaturated fats are found mainly in plants. These fats, usually known as the good fats, because they are very beneficial to one's health. They can lower the level of the bad cholesterol in your blood and increase the good cholesterol. Food examples are nuts, seeds, avocados, and oils, like olive oil and canola oil. And then you have your saturated fats, or bad fats. Why are they bad? Because they're known to be associated with increased risk of heart disease, cancer, and stroke. How does that happen? Well, in a nutshell, these fats, unlike the unsaturated fats, are solid at room temperature. So just think of them as solidifying or being solid in your arteries and heart, causing stroke and heart attacks. Where do you find these saturated fats? Chicken, beef, pork, lamb. Saturated fats are also in cheese, butter, ice cream. And guess what? In palm oil. Number one cause of death for both men and women in the U.S., heart disease, followed by cancer. Not to mention we're all getting fat, too. And of course, with that comes high blood pressure and diabetes. But the common diseases that afflict Americans today are not just the natural consequences of aging or genetics. It's our diets. It's all the animal products and saturated fats we're consuming. And we know and studies show that as animal products increase in a nation's diet and a population, we see the risk of cancer, heart attack, and stroke go up accordingly. Americans are eating huge amounts of saturated fats in their diets. And this comes from animals and animal products like cheese. And I know I'm digressing here. Americans love cheese. According to a recent study, Americans are eating 23 pounds of cheese each year, triple the amount consumed in 1970. And did you know that cheese is addicting? Yes, you can become addicted to cheese. You see, the main protein in cheese is casein. And when you digest this milk protein, casein, you get a product called casomorphine. Casomorphine, like morphine, triggers the opioid effect in the brain. It's the brain chemical responsible for feeling of pleasure, feeling of euphoria. Casomorphine has the opioid effect, hence cheese is addictive. And indeed, I think if you ask any vegan, most of them would say the hardest thing they had to give up when becoming vegan was the cheese. At least that certainly was the case for me and Peter. Anyway, Americans love fat, especially the fat you find in animals and their products, the saturated fat. Okay, so let's get back on track here. Palm oil, extremely high in saturated fat. So now switching gears, because recently a ban went into effect, eliminating trans fats from packaged items and restaurant foods. 
trans fats or trans fatty acids? We sort of always heard they were bad for us, but what are trans fats? Well, they're formed when liquid oil is treated with hydrogen gas and made solid. And by the way, by doing this, you increase the shelf life of foods. So that's a good reason why food manufacturers would want trans fats in their products. And they are bad for you. So we talked about saturated fats, right? The bad kind of fat, the kind of fat that is in animal products and clogs your arteries. But trans fats are even worse. Trans fats raise LDL, bad cholesterol, and make you more likely to get heart disease and stroke. And they also lower HDL, the good cholesterol. So you find them in a bunch of snack foods like cookies, crackers, margarine, microwave popcorn, french fries, and other fried fast foods. And it's been shown there's an increase in death from many causes associated with a high intake of trans fats. Higher intake of trans fats have been consistently associated with an increased stroke rate in various population studies. Now, back in January 2006, the FDA required the food industry to openly note the amount of trans fats in foods on the nutrition facts label. And shortly later, I think it was the same year, 2006, New York City was the first city in the U.S. to ban trans fats in foods sold by restaurants and bakeries. And then the trend started going in that direction, slowly pushing to get these fats out of our foods. And in fact, it was estimated that the consumption of trans fats fell by 78% in a 9 to 10-year span. I think it was from 2003 to 2012, and probably due to the labeling rule and subsequently reformulation of foods. And if you pay attention to marketing labels, you probably noticed more and more snack-type foods being labeled as having zero grams of trans fat. But without getting too far into the topic of misleading food labels, zero grams of trans fats on the food label doesn't necessarily mean there's not any trans fat in that product. I believe that if a product contains less than 0.5 grams per serving of trans fat, then the manufacturer can label as zero grams of trans fat. So a food can contain up to 0.49 grams of trans fat and still be labeled as zero grams. Anyway, in November 2013, the FDA made a preliminary determination that trans fats are not recognized as safe. And then, of course, there was this big push by the FDA to ban trans fats in the food supply. And in 2015, companies had three years until June 2018 to remove them from products in grocery stores. And indeed, here we are. Trans fats are banned from packaged items and restaurant foods. So what happened during this time when you got the forced labeling and these health concerns of the trans fat? Companies had begun to reduce their reliance on trans fats and what takes its place in all their products? Palm oil. And indeed, we saw that at the time when companies began to restrict their use of trans fats in the early 2000s, the imports of palm oil in the U.S. have grown dramatically. In 2012, the United States imported around seven times as much palm oil as it had in 1999 when the FDA first proposed mandatory labeling. And the decreasing use of partially hydrated oil was one of the reasons. And according to USDA data, U.S. imports of palm oil more than doubled between 2005 and 2012. 
So most American consumers have likely increased their consumption of palm oil over the last several years. And as I stated earlier, unlike most vegetable oils, palm oil is loaded with saturated fat, right? Meaning it's solid at room temperature. And again, one tablespoon of palm oil contains 55% of the daily recommendation of saturated fat. It's associated with increased risk of heart disease, cancer, and stroke. So if you are a conscientious, compassionate American who cares about your health, cares about the environment, and our beautiful non-human animals, many of whom are endangered and live in the tropical forests, you should be demanding that the palm oil in our favorite foods be only deforestation-free palm oil. And if you ask me, instead of what manufacturers have been doing, substituting the trans fats with palm oil, substitute with a vegetable oil like canola oil or soybean oil, which contains more unsaturated fats, much healthier for you, better for the environment, and better for the orangutans. For more than 60 years, the International Society for Animal Rights has been consistently fighting the battle against dog and cat overpopulation and advancing animal rights and law. ISAR is committed to saving animals' lives through ISAR's annual Worldwide International Homeless Animals Day. To learn more about ISAR's programs, please visit their website at www.isaronline.org. Welcome back to Animals Today. Well, I want to say hello to our special guests, uh, musician and animal advocate Paul Rogers and his wife, Cynthia Kerluck. Uh, you know Paul from his work, Fronting Free, Bad Company, The Firm, and as a solo artist. And he has written, recorded, produced, and released 30 albums. He sold 125 million records. You know the story. His latest CD and DVD is titled Free Spirit, filmed and recorded live at Royal Albert Hall. Welcome, Paul and Cynthia. Hello. How are you? Thanks, Peter. <laughs> well, I'll just address this to both of you. Please tell me how and when did you become interested in the welfare of animals? Well, this is Paul speaking here. Uh, you know, um, my wife, Cynthia, is a great animal lover. Uh, when we were in Dubai, she made friends with camels. In Memphis, she rescued dogs and puppies. In Japan, it was kittens. And in Portugal, I, th I believe it was a swallow. Is that a swallow? A swift bird. Oh, a swift. Yeah, a swift. Yeah. Um, uh, and there's been, uh, you know, every one of those um, adventures is a story within itself. I mean, not to mention Willow, the um, animal sanctuary in Aberdeen, Scotland. So, um, yeah. So we visited Aspen um, Wildlife Center recently in the Muskokas. And the first animal I saw was an Arctic fox named Spirit, which, considering I've just come off my Free Spirit North American tour with Jeff Beck and Ann Wilson and Deborah Bonham, was very... Kismet. Kismet. Kismetic. Is there such a word? <laughs> yes. Kismetic. <laughs> and uh, it was quite amazing. So I think that, you know, the angels are, perhaps the angels are watching over us. I, I think too, Peter, I know both Paul and I grew up, um, you know, with animals in our homes. We always had animals. And then um, Paul through, you know, his when his children were all young, they always had, you know, dogs 
you know, in, in the home. So there's always been pet, someone to care for, someone to watch over and, and love. And I mean, from the time I was a little girl, I remember uh, I didn't have any pets and I really, really wanted pets badly. So what I would do is we had a veranda that had a little secret entrance underneath the front porch. So I'd go around the neighborhood and I'd gather up all the animals and I'd carry them back home. I was about five years old and I'd put them all underneath there and try to make them jump through hoops and stuff like that. And then I'd hear all these people in the neighborhood, Fifi, Fifi, Roxy, all these people calling for their pets. And I had dogs and cats all together underneath our veranda. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I was an animal thief. I don't know. Mm. But then as I got older and was able to, you know, have my own pets, you know, through childhood I had pets, but then as an adult too. And I guess we're failed fosters because we fostered a number of animals, doing a number of rescues from Mexico as well. And, um, just fell in love with the animals. There's a soul and, and, connection. And the, the reason we're failed is because they <laughs> tend to stay. Yes. You know, they're supposed to be fostered and they stay. Yeah. 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 Our listeners are very familiar with that. And uh, just yeah. so, just to make sure we touch upon this again, uh, you guys formally uh, support Aspen Wildlife Sanctuary. This is in Ontario, Canada. It's about three hours drive north of Toronto, if I'm correct. And also, you mentioned Willow's Animal Sanctuary, another great place in uh, Scotland. It's really... Uh, sweet what you guys do to bring attention and donations to both of these and others. Well, you know what, Peter, it's, it was really interesting because with um, Willows, we've been patrons for about six years, and they're in a very remote area of Scotland, and there isn't a lot economically going on in the area anymore, so it's really hard for them to, to get funding. So we support them heavily, and something we've just started doing is we do these online auctions. I know that we were going through Paul's home in the UK, his cottage, and had a lot of, you know, neat little things that he'd had for 40, 50 years. And so I was packing them up, getting ready to take them to a charity shop. And I thought, wait a second, wait a second. Your fans would probably really like to have a piece of, yeah. of your history, your home history. Would you mind if we did an online auction with some of these items? And he said no. So we did that. And now we're about to do another, I think, next week. We're going to kick off another one online. So um, I can send you that information. Yeah, we'll post and it. M- these are more autographed items that I've I've gathered up. Uh, Robert Plant signed an album for us. Uh, I think we have something from Brian Johnson, from Paul, of course. So just a bunch of you know music friends have signed items. So those will be on an auction. And then as for Aspen, we've been with them, supporting them for about four years, and they do great work with the wildlife here in Canada. And I mean, Paul can tell you the story of, you know, meeting Ella the Moose, who is a, a resident there now. And um, that was quite an encounter, wasn't it? Well, it was, actually. She's kept in an, in an enclosure. An acre. An, an acre. Yeah. It's a big, large fence around it and everything. And um, she, um, um, Howard, the, the chap that works there, then, that he actually talked to the animals, and he went into the enclosure, <laughs> and he, he sort of made this sound like, ooh, 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 yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like that. And we were thinking, oh, I wonder what's going to happen here. <laughs> Howard's lost it. <laughs> and then there was an answering call of a similar nature, like, yeah. ooh, 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 and, and, and the bushes parted, and out <laughs> came this amazing, monstrous, prehistoric creature it looked like you know yeah. and she was it was Ella the moose and she's just a baby actually but she she's is. quite big yeah. Yeah. you know by our standards she's like six foot tall at least and uh, she came up to the fence and um, Howard said feed her this banana so she took the banana through the fence and she doesn't apparently they don't have bottom teeth 
they they tear with the top teeth and then they chow you know leaves and and foliage and stuff like that so that's how she took the banana she looked into my eyes and she was saying like keep hold of the banana i want to tear at it right <laughs> and she was tearing away at the banana it was a wonderful experience yeah yeah, yeah. Great. she's very habituated she actually um was found as an orphan generally what happens is moose have um uh, twins or triplets and Howard, who's a biologist who runs Aspen um, Valley Wildlife Sanctuary, he said that what typically happens is the moose, if she has twins, will take two and leave one. So Ella got left. And the family found her, and they took her in, and they were trying to bottle feed her, but they hadn't given her quite enough protein, so she was jumping around one day and broke her front leg. So they called Aspen and said, we've got this situation. So Aspen came and took her. She was in a cast for nine months, and while she was casted for nine months, she ended up damaging one of her back rear legs. So she can never fend for herself in the wild, so she's a resident now at at Aspen. Mm And you can go up and visit all the animals. I mean, we saw bears, we saw uh, silver foxes, we saw coyotes, raccoons. They have absolute. They 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 don't turn anything away. Which is so so clearly, you guys are very connected to this world. I wonder if uh, Paul, whether you derive any inspiration in your musical creativity from wild animals or the plight of animals. Well, I think the spirit of the animals. We, we've. Well, I mentioned to you earlier before we came on, on uh, before we went on air. Uh, we had a dog, Saxon. And we, he was a rescue, and I mean, his. Uh, he, he was such a great friend. It was like he was really a person to us, you know. And it was very, very sad to lose him. But he was. When we rescued him, they. He was in very poor shape. His his fleece. His um. His coat really was was all scratched, and you know. He'd had irritated. surgery to remove those yeah. yeah, and nobody wanted him, basically. Yeah, he, he looked a mess. And, uh, he was at the SPCA. Yeah, they, they didn't even charge us for him. That's how bad <laughs> it was. They said, no, <laughs> we won't charge you. Yeah, give him a home. And they said he'll probably last, what, a year a or year. something? Well, he was yeah. with us for six Seven years. Seven years. Seven years. A total of 14. He was a Doberman, yeah. 95-pound Doberman, and he yeah. lived till 14. I know he was yeah. just—he was so intelligent, yeah. and you get a lot of inspiration from 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 his love of his joy was to go for a walk. You know, I mean, he'd he'd look you in the eye and and he'd it, a little sparkle in his eye. Let's go, you know, and and that's an inspiration for anybody. I, I, I yeah, it definitely. Mm-hmm. Do you find any uh, similarities working closely with uh, animals and? Uh, what you get on stage or as a professional musician is there anything else that these endeavors share for you uh, yeah I, I mean you know yeah, there, there's it's all about energy when you're on stage I mean it's all about energy it's all about show it's all about communication and um, I, I think you know animals have a, a really lovely energy they they say that a dog is like a five-year-old in t- a five-year-old child in terms of where it's grown up I do believe you know, and, and they're very loving and very open and giving and responsive. Um, so yeah, I mean, in, in that sense, in the in the sense of energy, and I keep saying spirit, but again, it comes back to that. You know, the spirit of the animal really is an inspiration for anything you might do. I think. And I'll just throw this out to both of you, uh, Cynthia and Paul. Are you optimistic or? 
more pessimistic about the future, what the future holds for animals in the wild. You know, some of us in the fields, we're really down and we're ruining the earth and others are like, oh, technology and everything is going to, we're going to be in a better place soon. You guys ever talk about that kind of stuff? I do think about it a lot. And, you know, and, and when you look around, you can get, it's very easy to get depressed because some of the things that, that are done to animals, I, I, I know that, you know, we hunt animals and we eat animals and we've done this, mankind has done this since time began, basically. And it's part of our nature. But I don't see any reason why we have to be cruel to them, actually. I, I don't like cruelty. I really dislike cruelty altogether because it's just unnecessary. And uh, that's that's my big bugbear. Yeah, I I think I, I'm sort of you know I'm I'm right in the middle. I mean, I think that we have to allow for animals and allow for human animal wildlife you know conflict and be able to support them through it, whether it's rehabilitation and re-release or whether it's taking care of them. You know, building a one-acre enclosure for a moose that can't be rehabilitated and released. I think we have to be more responsible citizens and we have to realize that we're sharing and sharing is caring. So, to quote my grandchildren, <laughs> yeah. um, I really think we need to be aware of our choices that it's and not be so so greedy. I think we're, we've become very greedy as a, as a, as a nation uh, as in a, North America. As human, humankind. Yeah. yeah. I, do, I do think as well that um, you can only do what you can do. Do that which is in, right in mm -hmm. front of you. Mm -hmm. If you see cruelty or if you see something that you can do to alleviate any kind of suffering from an animal, then do that. That's, that's, yeah. If everybody did that, I think it would be a better world. And I think too, in terms of animal testing, I don't think it's necessary. I don't, don't think we should be using chemical compounds in our systems, whether it's topically or orally. I don't think we should have um, chemical testing on animals, I on agree. beagles. I think it's terrible. Yeah. You know, I think it's absolutely terrible. That's and, a lot of suffering, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I think it's totally unnecessary. Mm. Well, Cynthia and Paul, it's just been a joy speaking with both of you. I'm sorry it had to be so brief, but we certainly uh, learned a lot about your world as animal advocates, and I uh, really appreciate you coming on to Animals Today. Oh, thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. That was great. <laughs> Hi, it's Lori Kirshner from Animals Today, and here's your Animals Today Minute. Xylitol is a sweetener that is commonly used in sugar-free gum and candy, toothpaste, mouthwash, baked goods, and chewable vitamins. Xylitol is safe for humans, but can be extremely toxic to dogs. Luckily, cats do not seem to be interested in eating foods with xylitol. But in dogs, even small amounts of xylitol can cause hypoglycemia, that's low blood sugar, seizures, liver failure, and even death. The effects can appear as quickly as 10 minutes after ingestion. If your dog has eaten a xylitol-containing item, bring him or her to your veterinarian or emergency animal hospital immediately, even if there's no symptoms yet. He or she should be monitored there for 12 to 24 hours just to be safe. Also, please be aware that some nut butters now have xylitol as an added ingredient, so check your labels. And of course, don't let your dogs get at your chewing gum and mints. These are serious dangers causing the FDA to release a consumer alert on the risks to dogs, which you can read at fda.gov slash consumer. And this is Dr. Lori Kirshner with your Animals Today Minute for the day.
Okay, let's move on to something fun. Okay, Laurie. Zoology, as you know, is the branch of biology that studies the animal kingdom. But what about specific groups of animals, the branches of zoology? Yeah. Let's start with something easy. This is your quiz. You just ease right into it. Yes, I do. Yeah, any discussion can be a quiz. That's right. Where were you on the night of the 10th? (laughs) Why did you come in late last night? The study of monkeys and apes and other primates is called... Primatology. Primatology. Yeah. And if the study of primates is called primatology... Okay. What do you call the study of cats? Cat, cat, not catology, (laughs) feline... Felinology? Yeah, I never oh, heard really? of that. But yes, felinology. How about the study of dogs? Canine something. Yeah, with that logic, you would think canine lo- no. no. Sinology. How do you spell that? C-Y-N-O-L-O-G-Y. Mm. Sinology. Mm. What do you call the study of insects? Oh, that is entomology. That's correct. Yes, I'll drink to that. <laughs> you drink to that? You have a sip of coffee? Yeah. Okay. Uh, celebrate. <laughs> Ornithology is the study of... Of birds. Birds is correct. Yeah. A lepidopterologist (laughs) is an entomologist who specializes in the collection and study of what? Hmm. Collection of butterflies? Butterflies. Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah. Was that a guess? You know, collecting. What do do people collect? Yeah. Okay. It's collectible. (laughs) They shouldn't, but they do. What does a... Dipterologist study. Mm. I'll give you multiple choice. Please. Fleas, mm-hmm. mosquitoes, or flies? Oh, boy. I'm going to say mosquitoes. Flies. Flies. How do you become a dipterologist? Flies. What kind of job can I get if I'm a so, dipterologist? Like yeah. a natural resource management, pest control, yeah. public health. Or you can apply. Sorry, we were looking for a flea expert, not a fly expert. That's right. Okay. Myrmecology. Myrmer, spell that one, please. Myrmecology. M-Y-R-M-E-C-O-L-O-G-Y. Mm. Is a sub-discipline of entomology, which focuses on the study of what? Bees, ladybugs, or ants? I'll go with ants. Ants is correct. Yeah. You know why I know that? Because when I was... Had my medical practice open. All the we would play the movies Ants for the Kids. Oh ants, yeah, Ants Two, over and over and over again. I knew every line from that uh, cartoon series. And they taught the kids that myrmecology is the study of ants. <laughs> they, that just that ants were the coolest thing. And just look oh. at those ants, so I can look at your eyes. Oh. I am an ichthyologist. Yes. What do I study? You study. Uh, let's see. Ichthyologist makes me think of scales, li- uh, snakes, lizards. Close fish. Oh, it's sort of close. <laughs> <laughs> well, scales. Scales, okay. Yeah, I guess that. <laughs> the study of amphibians and reptiles, so that includes snakes, lizards, turtles, tortoises, is called heliotology, herpetology, or hematology. Yes, herpetology. That's correct. Okay. So there's a subdivision of herpetology, which deals with the study of snakes. Mm. What is that called? Reptology. No, no, no. Venomology. Ophiology. Oh, I'll go ophiology. Ophiology is I correct. I don't remember knowing that word. Yeah. Yeah. Nematology yeah. is the study of ringworms, mm. roundworms, or tapeworms. Wow. Tapeworm, ringworm, roundworm. I'll go ringworm. Roundworm. Roundworm. Oh, yeah. The study of marine mammals, that includes whales, dolphins, porpoises, is called saltology, seaology, 
Or cetology. Cetology. Cetology is yeah. correct. Cetation. That That's is right. I know. Good. Okay. CET. Okay. You yeah. did pretty good. <laughs> Do I get it? Okay. Not so good. Just my average. Yeah. I'll retest you in a few weeks, see how much you remember. Please don't do that because that never works. <laughs> that never works. There's a petting zoo in Tacoma. This is like same old story again. Another sort of underfunded, small, captive animal facility, right? This is called City Goat Farm and Zoo. They are in Tacoma. And between uh, April 2019 and February 2020, dozens of people were injured while they were at this uh, petting zoo by small wild animals like like foxes and anteaters and stuff like that. So they were sighted and they're in trouble and hopefully they'll get closed down. Uh, they had a sloth that died. I mean, who could, I mean, a little place can't take care of a sloth. Right? They don't know what the hell they're so doing. So died of neglect? Oh, you know, there may have been trauma. The necropsy was done. There was, well, the first was denial and then right, right. we don't know. Right. And, and then... Uh, Maybe he got COVID. <laughs> but... We talk about this all the time. Another example of a small facility totally not ready to do this. And, and uh, it's just a horrible story. So they're going to die or get traumatized. We don't understand why these dolphins perished. Yep. I know. Right. Exactly. Oh. Oh. We're studying it. Oh, what happened? <laughs> An investigation. Yes. Okay. Then back to uh, pet parents. Okay. So this comes from MetLife. They sell insurance for pets and they uh, surveyed their policyholders. And only 2% of these folks had taken a first aid course focused on pets. Oh. 10% of them had a pet first aid kit. And about half of the dog owners said they needed more training in uh, emergency care of their animals. And 80% of the cat owners said they needed more training. We need more training. We definitely need more training. Like, do you, would you know how to do CPR on a dog? You know, I learned how to do it by reading, you yeah. know, uh-huh. years ago, but I, I really don't. I yeah. really wouldn't know how. So you've never been certified. No, I've never been certified. A little certi- pocket card. Right. No, like no, no, no. So you're right. I, I don't know how. Yeah, well, I'm not making fun. I've never done it yeah. either, but uh, yeah. it's we we should we should yeah. let's find a course. Okay, so there you go. How about a canine like Heimlich maneuver? Isn't that another thing that you can learn how to do besides yeah. CPR? Yeah, or you hold the dog upside down and shake. I, I don't. You know. You don't do that. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know either. But I think there is like a Heimlich. I don't think it's called Heimlich. He was only interested in dying people. Right, only interested in dying people. people. So there must be another word. But some Heimlich-like maneuver has to exist yeah. for dogs and cats who get something stuck in their yeah in their Heimie. <laughs> their Heimie. <laughs> Okay, Lori, here you go. When you mentioned MetLife, I thought you were going to talk about the most popular dog names of 2021. I think they did a study with Lola, Max, Bailey. (laughs) Not Rover. (laughs) Not Rover. Not Spot. Okay, thanks for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet. The animals. The animals.